CD9. The horde watched the bustle among Lord Hong's men. Objects were being dragged to the front line. They don't look like archers to me, said Boy Willie. Those things are barking dogs, said Cohen. I should know. Seen them before. They're like a barrel full of fireworks, and when the fireworks are lit, a big stone comes rushing out the other end. Why? Well, would you hang around if someone had just lit a firework by your arse? Here, teach. He said arse, complained Truckle. Look, on my bit of paper here, it says you mustn't say arse. We've got shields, haven't we? said Mr Savaloy. I'm sure if we keep close together and put the shields over our heads, we'll be as right as rain. The stone's about a foot across and going very fast, and it's red hot. Not shields, then. No, said Cohen. Truckle, you push Hamish. We won't get fifty yards, Genghis, said Caleb. Better fifty yards now than six feet in a minute, yes, said Cohen. Bravo, said Mr Savaloy. What? said Mad Hamish. Lord Hong watched them. He saw the horde hang their shields around the wheelchair to form a crude travelling wall, and saw the wheels begin to turn. He raised his sword. Fire! Still tamping the charges, O oh Lord. I said, fire! Got to prime the dogs, O oh Lord. The bombardiers worked feverishly, spurred on less by terror of Lord Hong than by the onrushing horde. Mr Savaloy's hair streamed in the wind. He bounded through the dust, waving his sword and screaming. He'd never been so happy in all his life. So this was the secret at the heart of it all, to look death right in the face and charge. It made everything so utterly simple. Lord Hong threw down his helmet. Fire, you wretched peasants, you scum of the earth! Why must I ask twice? Give me that torch! He pushed the bombardier aside, crouched down beside a dog, heaved on it so that the barrel was pointing at the oncoming Cohen, lifted the torch. The earth heaved. The dog reared and rolled sideways. A round, red head, smiling faintly, rose out of the ground. There were screams in the ranks as the soldiers looked down at the moving dirt under their boots, tried to run on a surface that was just shifting soil, and disappeared in the rising cloud of dust. The ground caved in. Then it caved out again as stricken soldiers climbed up one another to escape, because rising gently through the turmoil was the soil in human shape. The horde skidded to a halt. What are they, trolls? said Cohen. Ten of the figures were visible now, industriously digging at the air. Then they stopped. One of them turned its gently smiling head this way and that. A sergeant must have screamed a handful of archers into line because a few arrows shattered on the terracotta armour with absolutely no effect. Other red warriors were climbing up behind the former diggers. They collided with them with a sound of crockery. Then, as one man, or troll, or demon, they drew their swords, turned round, and headed towards Lord Hong's army. A few soldiers tried to fight them simply because there was too great a crowd behind them to run away. They died. It wasn't that the Red Guards were good fighters. They were very mechanical, each one performing the same thrust, parry, slash, regardless of what their opponent was doing. But they were simply unstoppable. If their opponent escaped one of the blows but didn't get out of the way, then he was just trodden on, and by the looks of things the warriors were extremely heavy. And it was the way the thing smiled all the time that added to the terror. Well now, there's a thing, Cohen said, feeling for his tobacco pouch. Never seen trolls fight like that, said Truckle. Rank after rank was walking up out of the hole, stabbing happily at the air. The front row were moving in a cloud of dust and screams. It is hard for a big army to do anything quickly, and divisions trying to move forward to see what the trouble was were getting in the way of fleeing individuals seeking a hole to hide in and permanent civilian status. Gongs were banging and men were trying to shout orders, but no one knew what the gongs were meant to mean or how the orders should be obeyed because there didn't seem to be enough time. Cohen finished rolling his cigarette and struck a match on his chin. Right, he said to the world in general, let's get that bloody hong. The clouds overhead were less fearsome now, there was less lightning, but there was still a lot of them, greeny-black, heavy with rain. But this is amazing, said Mr Savaloy. 
A few drops hit the ground, leaving wide craters in the dirt. Yeah, right, said Cohen. A most strange phenomenon. Warriors rising out of the ground. The craters joined up. It felt as though the drops were joining up as well. The rain began to pour down. Dunno, said Cohen, watching a ragged platoon flee past. Never been here before. Perhaps this happens a lot. I mean, it's just like that myth about the man who sewed dragon's teeth and terrible fighting skeletons came up. I don't believe that, said Caleb, as they jogged after Cohen. Why not? If you sew dragon's teeth, you should get dragons, not fighting skeletons. What did it say on the packet? I don't know. The myth never said anything about them coming in a packet. Should have said, comes up dragons on the packet. You can't believe myths, said Cohen. I should know. Right, there he is, he added, pointing to a distant horseman. The whole plain was in turmoil now. The Red Warriors were only the start. The alliance of the five warlords was glass-fragile in any case, and panicky flight was instantly interpreted as a sneak attack. No one paid any attention to the horde. They didn't have any coloured pennants or gongs. They weren't traditional enemies. And besides, the soil was now mud, and the mud flew, and everyone from the waist down was the same colour, and this was rising. "'What are we doing, Genghis?' said Mr Savaloy. "'We are heading back for the palace.' "'Why?' "'Cause that's where Hong's gone.' "'But there's this uh, astonishing... "'Look, Teach, I've seen walking trees and spider gods and big green things with teeth,' said Cohen. "'It's no good going round saying astonishing all the time. Ain't that so, Truckle?' "'Right. Do you know, when I went after the five-headed vampire goat over in Scund, "'they said I shouldn't on account of it being an endangered species. "'I said, yes, that was down to me. Were they grateful?' <laughs> "'said Caleb. Should have thanked you.' giving them all those endangered species to worry about. Turn around and go home right now, soldier boy. A group of soldiers, fighting to get away from the Red Warriors, skidded in the mud, started in terror at the horde, and headed off in a new direction. Truckle stopped for breath, rain streaming off his beard. I can't be having with this running, though, he said. Not and push Hamish's wheelchair in all this mud. Let's have a breather. What? Stop him for a breather? said Cohen. My gods, I never thought I'd see the day. A hero having a rest. Did Volton the Indestructible have a bit of a rest? He's having one now. He's dead, Genghis, said Caleb. Cohen hesitated. What? Old Volton? Didn't you know? And the immortal Jenkins? Jenkins isn't dead. I saw him only last year. But he's dead now. All the heroes are dead except us. And I ain't too sure about me too. Cohen splashed forward and snatched Caleb upright by his shirt. What about Harun? He can't be dead. He's off our age. Last I heard, he got a job. Sergeant of the Guard somewhere. Sergeant of the Guard? said Cohen. What, for pay? Yep. But what, like, for pay? He told me he might make captain next year. He said, he said it's a job with a pension. Cohen released his grip. There's not many of us now, Cohen, said Truckle. Cohen spun round. All right, but there's never been many of us, and I ain't dying. Not if it means the world's taken over by bastards like Hong who don't know what a chieftain is. Scum. That's what he called his soldiers, scum. It's like that bloody civilised game you showed us, Teach. Cheers. Right. The prawns are just there to be slaughtered by the other side while the king just hangs around at the back. Yeah, but the other side's you, Cohen. Right, right. Well, yes, that's fine when I'm the enemy, but I don't shove men in front of me to get killed instead of me, and I never use bows and them dog things. When I kill someone, it's up close and personal. Armies? Bloody tactics? There's only one way to fight, and that's everyone charging all at once, waving their swords and shouting. Now, on your feet, and let's get after him. It's been a long morning, Genghis, said Boy Willie. Don't give me that. I could do with the lavatory. It's all this rain. Let's get Hong first. If he's hiding in the privy, that's fine by me. They reached the city gates. They had been shut. Hundreds of people, citizens as well as guards, watched them from the walls. 
Cohen waved a finger at them. Now, I ain't going to say this twice, he said. I'm coming in, OK? It can be the easy way or it can be the hard way. Impassive faces looked down at the skinny old man and up at the plain where the armies of the warlords fought one another and in terror the terracotta warriors. Down, up. Down, up. Right, said Cohen. Don't say afterwards I didn't warn you. He raised his sword and prepared to charge. Wait, said Mr Savaloy. Listen. There was a shouting behind the walls and some confused orders and then more shouting and then a couple of screams. The gates swung open, pulled by dozens of citizens. Cohen lowered his sword. Ah, he said, they've seen reason, have they? Wheezing a little, the horde limped through the gates. The crowd watched them in silence. Several guards lay dead. Rather more had removed their helmets and decided to opt for a bright new future in Civvy Street, where you were less likely to get beaten to death by an angry mob. Every face watched Cohen, turning to follow him as flowers follow the sun. He ignored them. Crowdy the Strong, he said to Caleb. Dead. Can't be. He was a picture of elf when I saw him a couple of months ago, going on a new quest and everything. Dead. What happened? You know the terrible man-eating sloth of Klopp? The one they say guards the giant ruby of the mad snake god? The very same. Well, it was. The crowd parted to let the horde through. One or two people tried a cheer, but were shushed into silence. It was a silence that Mr Savaloy had only heard before in the most devout of temples. The only sound the Horde had ever heard in temples was people shouting, Infidel, he has stolen the jewelled eye of... Your wife is a big hippo. There was a whispering, though, growing out of that watchful silence like bubbles in a pot of water on a hot fire. It went like this. The Red Army, the Red Army. How about Organdy Sloggo? Still going strong down in her wonderland, last I heard. Dead. Metal poisoning. How? Three swords through the stomach. The Red Army. Slasher Mungo? Presumed dead in scund. Presumed? Well, they only found his head. The Red Army. The horde approached the inner gates of the Forbidden City. The crowd followed them at a distance. These gates were shut too. A couple of heavy-set guards were standing in front of them. They wore the expressions of men who'd been told to guard the gates and were going to guard the gates come what may. The military depends on people who will guard gates or bridges or passes come what may, and there are often heroic poems written in their honour, invariably posthumously. Gosbar the Wake? Died in bed, I heard. Not old Gosbar. Everyone's got to sleep sometime. That's not the only thing they've got to do, mister said Boy Willie. I really need the what's-name. Well, does the wall? Not with everyone watching. That ain't, ain't civilised. Cohen strode up to the guards. I'm not mucking about, he said. OK? Would you rather die than betray your emperor? The guards stared ahead. Right, fair enough. Cohen drew his sword. A thought seemed to strike him. Nurka, he said. Big Nurka. Tough as old boots, him. Fishbone, said Caleb. Nurka? He once killed six trolls with a... Choked on a fishbone in his gruel. I thought you knew. Sorry. Cohen stared at him, and then at his sword, and then at the guards. For a moment there was silence, broken only by the sound of the rain. You know, lads, he said in a voice so suddenly full of weariness that Mr Savaloy felt a pit opening up here at the moment of triumph. I was going to chop your heads off. What's the point, eh? I mean, when you get right down to it, why bother? What sort of difference does it make? The guards still stared straight ahead, but their eyes were widening. Mr Savaloy turned. You'll end up dead anyway, sooner or later, Cohen went on. Well, that's about it. You live your life the best way you can, and then it don't actually matter because you're dead. Um, Cohen said Mr Savaloy. I mean, look at me. Been chopping heads off my whole life, and what have I got to show for it? Cohen! The guards weren't just staring now. Their faces were dragging themselves into very creditable grimaces of fear. Cohen! Yeah, what? I think you should look round, Cohen. Cohen turned. Half a dozen red warriors were advancing up the street. 
The crowd had pulled right back and were watching in silent terror. Then a voice shouted, Extended duration to the Red Army! Cries rose up here and there in the crowd. A young woman raised her hand in a clenched fist. Advance necessarily with the people while retaining due regard for traditions! Others joined her. Deserved correction to enemies. I've lost Mr Bunny! The Red Giants clonked to a halt. Look at them, said Mr Savaloy. They're not trolls. They move like some kind of engine. Doesn't that interest you? No, said Cohen vacantly. Abstract thinking is not a major aspect of the barbarian mental process. Now, where was I? He sighed. Oh, yes, you too. You'd rather die than betray your emperor, would you? The two men were rigid with fear now. Cohen raised his sword. Mr. Savaloy took a deep breath, grabbed Cohen's sword arm and shouted, Then open the gates and let him through. There was a moment of utter silence. Mr. Savaloy nudged Cohen. Go on, he hissed. Act like an emperor. What, you mean giggle and have people tortured, that sort of thing? Blow that. No, act like an emperor ought to act. Cohen glared at Savaloy, then he turned to the guards. Well done, he said. Your loyalty does you, what's the name, uh, credit. Keep on like this, and I can see it's promotion for both of you. Now let us all go inside, or I will have my flowerpot men chop off your feet, so you'll have to kneel in the gutter while you're looking for your head. The men looked at one another, threw down their swords, and tried to kowtow. And you can bloody well get up too, said Cohen, in a slightly nicer tone of voice. Mr Savaloy? Yes? I'm emperor now, am I? The earth soldiers seem to be on our side. The people think you've won. We're all alive. I'd say we've won, yes. If I'm emperor, I can tell everyone what to do, right? Oh, indeed. Properly, you know, scrolls and stuff. Buggers in uniform blowing trumpets and saying, this is what he wants you to do. Ah, you you want to make a proclamation. Yeah, no more of this bloody kowtowing. It makes me squirm. No kowtowing by anyone to anyone, all right? If anyone sees me, they can salute or maybe give me some money. But none of this banging your head on the ground stuff. It gives me the willies. Now... Dress up that in proper writing. Right away. And, hang on, haven't finished yet. Cohen bit his lip in unaccustomed cogitation as the Red Warriors lurched to a stop. Yeah, you can add that I'm letting all prisoners go free unless they've done something really bad, like attempted poisoning for a start. You can work out the details. All torturers have to have their heads cut off and every peasant can have a free pig, something like that. I'll leave you to put in all the proper curly bits about by order and stuff. Cohen looked down at the guards. Get up, I said. I swear the next bastard that kisses the ground in front of me is going to get kicked in the antique chicken coops. OK, now, open the gates. The crowd cheered. As the horde stepped inside the Forbidden City, they followed in a sort of cross between a revolutionary charge and a respectful walk. The Red Warriors stood outside. One of them raised a terracotta foot which groaned a little and walked towards the wall until it bumped into it. The warrior staggered drunkenly for a while and then managed to get within a yard or two of the wall without colliding with it. It raised a finger and wrote shakily in red dust that turned to a kind of paint on the wet plaster. Help, help, it's me. I'm out here on the plain. Help, I can't get this bloody armour off. The crowd surged along behind Cohen, shouting and singing. If he'd had a surfboard, he could have ridden on it. The rain drummed heavily on the roof and poured into the courtyards. Why are they all so excited, he said. They think you're going to sack the palace, said Mr Savaloy. They've heard about barbarians, you see. They want some of it. Anyway, they like the idea about the pig. Hey, you! shouted Cohen to a boy struggling past under the weight of a huge vase. Get your thieving paws off my stuff. That's valuable, that is. It's, um, it's, uh, 
It's a Sang dynasty, said Mr Savaloy. That's right, said the vase. That's a Sang dynasty, that is. Put it back. And you lot back there, he turned and waved his sword. Get those shoes off. You're scratching the floor. Look at the state of it already. You never bothered about the floor yesterday, Truckle grumbled. Twerp my floor then. Yes, it was, said Mr Savaloy. Not properly, said Cohen. Right of conquest, that's the thing. Blood, people understand blood. You just walk in and take over and no one takes it seriously. But seas of blood, everyone understands that. Mountains of skulls, said Truckle approvingly. Look at his street, said Cohen. Whenever you... Hey, you, the man with the hat, that's my... Inlaid mahogany shibo yangkong sand table, murmured Mr Savaloy. Yeah, so put it back, do you hear? Yes, whenever you comes across a king where everyone says, Ooh, he was a good king, all right. You can bet your sandals he was a great big bearded bastard who broke heads a lot and laughed about it, eh? But some king who just passed decent little laws and read books and tried to look intelligent. Ooh, they say, oh, he was all right, a bit wet, not what I call a proper king. That's people for you. Mr Savaloy sighed. Cohen grinned at him and slapped him on the back so hard he stumbled into two women trying to carry off a bronze statue of Lee Tin Weedle. Can't quite face it, Teach, can you? Can't get your mind round it. Don't worry about it. Basically, you ain't a barbarian. Put that damn statue back, missus, or you'll feel the flat of my sword, so you will. But I thought we could do it without anyone getting hurt. By... by using our brains. Can't. History don't work like that. Blood first, then brains. Mountains of skulls, said Truckle. There's got to be a better way than fighting, said Mr Savaloy. Yeah, lots of them, only none of them work. Caleb, take those fine bong jade miniatures, muttered Mr Savaloy. Yeah, take them off that fella, he's got one under his hat. Another set of carved doors was swung open. This room was already crowded, but the people shuffled backwards as the doors parted and tried to look keen while avoiding catching Cohen's eye. As they pulled away, they left six beneficent winds standing all alone. The court had become very good at this manoeuvre. Mountains of skulls, said Truckle, not a man to let go in a hurry. Uh, we saw the Red Army rise out of the ground, uh, just as the legend foretold. Truly, you are the pre-incarnation of One Sun Mirror. The little taxman had the decency to look embarrassed. As speeches went, it was on a dramatic level with the one that traditionally began, As you know, your father, the king. Besides, he'd never believed in legends up till now. Not even the one about the peasant who every year filed a scrupulously honest tax return. Yeah, right, said Cohen. He strode to the throne and stuck his sword in the floor where it vibrated. Some of you are going to get your heads cut off for your own good, he said. But I haven't decided who yet. And someone show Boy Willie where the privy is. No need, said Boy Willie. Not after them big red statues turned up behind me so sudden. Mountains of scu... Truckle began. Don't know about mountains said Cohen. And where, said Six Beneficent Winds tremulously, is the Great Wizard? Great Wizard, said Cohen. Yes, the Great Wizard who summoned the Red Army from the Earth, said the taxman. Don't know anything about him, said Cohen. The crowd staggered forward as more people piled into the room. They're coming. A terracotta warrior clomped its way into the room, its face still wearing a very faint smile. It stopped, rocking a little, while water dripped off it. People had crouched back in terror, except the Horde, Mr Savaloy noticed. Faced with unknown yet terrible dangers, the Horde were either angry or puzzled. Then he cheered up. They weren't better, just different. They're all right facing huge terrible creatures, he told himself, but ask them to go down the street and buy a bag of rice and they go all to pieces. What's my move now, Teach? Cohen whispered. Well, your emperor, said Mr Savaloy, I think you talk to it. OK. Cohen stood up and nodded cheerfully at the terracotta giant. Morning, he said. Nice bit of work out there. You and the rest of your lads can have the day off to plant geraniums in yourselves or whatever you do. 
Uh, you got a number one giant I ought to speak to? The terracotta warrior creaked as it raised one finger. Then it pressed two fingers against one forearm, then raised a finger again. Everyone in the crowd started talking at once. The giant tugged one vestigial ear with two fingers. What can this mean? said six beneficent winds. I find this a little hard to credit, said Mr Savaloy, but it is an ancient method of communication used in the land of blood-sucking vampire ghosts. You can understand it. Oh, yes, I think so. You have to try and guess the word or phrase. It's trying to tell us, um... One word, uh, two syllables, first syllable sounds like... The giant cupped one hand and made circular handle-turning motions with the other alongside it. Turning, said Mr Savaloy. Winding, reeling, uh, revolve, grind, grind, uh, chop, mince. The giant tapped its nose hurriedly and did a very heavy, noisy dance, bits of terracotta armour clanking. Sounds like mince, said Mr. Savaloy. First syllable sounds like mince. Uh, a ragged figure pushed its way through the crowd. It wore glasses, one lens of which was cracked. Uh, it said, I've got an idea about that. Lord Fang and some of his more trusted warriors had clustered on the side of the hills. A good general always knows when to leave the battlefield, and as far as Lord Fang was concerned, it was when he saw the enemy coming towards him. The men were shaken. They hadn't tried to face the Red Army. Those who had were dead. We regroup, panted Lord Fang, and then we'll wait until nightfall, and... What's that? There was a rhythmic noise coming from the bushes further up the slope, where sliding earth had left another bush-filled ravine. Sounds like a carpenter, my lord said one of the soldiers. Up here, in the middle of a war, go and see what it is. The man scrambled away. After a while, there was a pause in the sawing noise. Then it started again. Lord Fang had been trying to work out a fresh battle plan according to the nine useful principles. He threw down his map. Why is that still going on? Where is Captain Nong? Hasn't come back, my lord. Then go and see what happened to him. Lord Fang tried to remember if the great military sage had ever had anything to say about fighting giant invulnerable statues. He... The sawing paused. Then it was replaced by the sound of hammering. Lord Fang looked around. Can I have an order obeyed around here? he bellowed. He picked up his sword and scrambled up the muddy slope. The bushes parted ahead of him. There was a clearing. There was a rushing shape on hundreds of little... There was a snap. The rain was coming down so fast that the drops were having to queue. The red earth was hundreds of feet deep in places. It produced two or three crops a year. It was rich. It was fecund. It was, when wet, extremely sticky. The surviving armies had squelched from the field of battle, as red from head to toe as the terracotta men. Not counting those merely trodden on, the red army had not in fact killed very many people. Terror had done most of their work. Rather more soldiers had been killed in the brief inter-army battles and, in the scramble to escape, by their own sides. Friendly stab, as it is formerly known. The terracotta army had the field to itself. It was celebrating victory in various ways. Many guards were walking around in circles, wading through the clinging mud as if it was so much dirty air. A number of them were digging a trench, the sides of which were washing in on them in the thundering rain. A few were trying to climb the walls that weren't there. Several, possibly as a result of the exertion following centuries of zero maintenance, had spontaneously exploded in a shower of blue sparks, the red-hot clay shrapnel being a major factor in the opposition's death count. And all the time, the rain fell, a solid curtain of water. It didn't look natural. It was as though the sea had decided to reclaim the land by airdrop. Rincewind shut his eyes. Mud covered the armour. He couldn't make out the pictures anymore, and that was something of a relief because he was pretty certain he was messing things up. You could see what any warrior was seeing, at least presumably you could, if you knew what some of the odder pictures actually did and how to press them in the right order. Rincewind didn't, and in any case, whoever had made the magic armour hadn't assumed it would be used in knee-deep mud during a vertical river. Every now and then it sizzled. 
one of the brutes was getting hot. It had started out so well, but there had been what he was coming to think of as the rinse-wind factor. Probably some other wizard would have marched the army out and wouldn't have been rained on, and even now would be parading through the streets of Hung Hung while people threw flowers and said, My word, there's a great wizard and no mistake. Some other wizard wouldn't have pressed the wrong picture and started the things digging. He realised he was wallowing in self-pity. Rather more pertinently, he was also wallowing in mud. And he was sinking. Trying to pull a foot out was no use, it didn't work, and the other foot only went deeper and got hotter. Lightning struck the ground nearby. He heard it sizzle, saw the steam, felt the tingle of electricity, and tasted the taste of burning tin. Another bolt hit a warrior. Its torso exploded, raining a sticky black tar. The legs kept going for a few steps and then stopped. Water poured past him, thick and red now that the river hung was overflowing. And the mud continued to suck on his feet like a hollow tooth. Something swirled past on the muddy water. It looked like a scrap of paper. Rincewind hesitated, then reached out awkwardly with a gloved hand and scooped it up. It was, as he'd expected, a butterfly. Thank you very much, he said bitterly. The water drained through his fingers. He half closed his hand and then sighed, and as gently as he could, manoeuvred the creature onto a finger. Its wings hung damply. He shielded it with his other hand and blew on its wings a few times. Go on push off. The butterfly turned. Its multifaceted eyes glinted green for a moment, and then it flapped its wings experimentally. It stopped raining. It started to snow. But only where Rincewind was. Oh, yes, said Rincewind. Yes, indeed. Oh, thank you so very much. Life was, he had heard, like a bird which flies out of the darkness and across a crowded hall, and then through another window into an endless night again. In Rincewind's case, it had managed to do something incontinent in his dinner. The snow stopped. The clouds pulled back from the dome of the sky with astonishing speed, letting in hot sunlight which almost immediately made the mud steam. There you are! We've been looking everywhere! Rincewind tried to turn, but the mud made that impossible. There was a wooden thump, as of a plank being laid down on wet ooze. Snow on his head? In bright sunshine, I said to myself. That's him, all right. There was the thump of another plank. A small avalanche slid off the helmet and slid down Rincewind's neck. Another thump, and a plank squelched into the mud beside him. It's me, Two Flower. You all right, old friend? I think my foot is being cooked. But apart from that, I'm as happy as anything. I knew it would be you doing the charades, said Two Flower, sticking his hands under the wizard's shoulders and hauling. You got the wind syllable, said Rincewind. That was very hard to do by remote control. Oh, none of us got that, said Two Flower. But when it did, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, I'm going to die, everyone got that first go. Very inventive. Um, you seem to be stuck. I think it's the magic boots. Can't you wriggle them off? The mud dries like, well, like terracotta in the sun. Someone can come along and dig them out afterwards. Rincewind tried to move his feet. There were some sub-mud bubblings, and he felt his feet come free with a muffled slurping noise. Finally, with considerable effort, he was sitting on the plank. Sorry about the warriors, he said. It looked so simple when I started out, and then I got confused with all the pictures and it was impossible to stop some of them doing things. "'But it was a famous victory,' said Twoflower. "'Was it? Mr Cohen's been made emperor.' "'He has?' "'Well, not made. I mean, no one made him. "'He just came along and took it, "'and everyone says he's the pre-incarnation of the first emperor, "'and he says if you want to be the great wizard, that's fine by him.' "'Sorry? You lost me there. "'You led the Red Army, didn't you? "'You made them rise up in the Empire's hour of need.' Well, I wouldn't exactly say that I... So the Emperor wants to reward you. Isn't that nice? How do you mean reward? said Rincewind with deep suspicion. Not sure, really. Actually, what he said was... Two Flowers' eyes glazed as he tried to recall. He said, You go and find Rincewind and say he might be a bit of a pillock, but at least he's straight so he can be Chief Wizard of the Empire or whatever he wants to call it. Because I don't trust you foreign... Two Flowers squinted upwards as he tried to remember Cohen's precise words... House of auspicious aspect, scent of pine trees, buggers. The words trickled into Rincewind's ear, slid up into his brain and started to bang on the walls. 
chief wizard, he said. That's what he said. Well, actually what he said was he wanted you to be a blob of swallow's vomit, but that was because he used the low sad tone rather than the high questioning one. He definitely meant wizard. Of the whole empire, Rincewind stood up. Something very bad is about to happen, he said flatly. The sky was quite blue now. A few citizens had ventured onto the battlefield to tend the wounded and retrieve the dead. Terracotta warriors stood at various angles, motionless as rocks. Any minute now, said Rincewind. Shouldn't we get back? Probably a meteorite strike, said Rincewind. Twoflower looked up at the peaceful sky. You know me, said Rincewind. Just when I'm getting a grip on something, fate comes along and jumps on my fingers. I don't see any meteorites, said Twoflower. How long do we wait? It'll be something else then, said Rincewind. Someone will come leaping out, or there'll be an earthquake, or something. If you insist, said Twoflower politely. Um, do you want to wait for something horrible here, or would you like to go back to the palace and have a bath and change your clothes and then see what happens? Rincewind conceded that he might as well await a dreadful fate in comfort. There's going to be a feast, said Twoflower. The emperor says he's going to teach everyone how to quaff. They made their way, plank by plank, towards the city. You know, I swear you never told me that you were married. Oh, I'm sure I did. I was, um, I was sorry to hear that your wife, um... Things happen in war. I have two dutiful daughters. Rincewind opened his mouth to say something, but Two Flowers' bright, brittle smile froze the words in his throat. They worked without speaking, picking up the planks behind them and extending the walkway in front. Looking on the bright side, said Two Flower, breaking the silence, the Emperor said you could start your own university if you want. No, no, no. Someone hit me with an iron bar, please. He said he's well in favour of education, provided no one makes him have one. He's been making proclamations like mad. The eunuchs have threatened to go on strike. Rincewind's plank dropped onto the mud. What is it that eunuchs do, he said, that they stop doing when they go on strike? Serve food? Make the beds? Things like that? Oh. They run the Forbidden City, really, but the Emperor talked them round to his point of view. Really? He said if they didn't get cracking right now, he'd cut off everything else. Hmm. I think the ground's firm enough now. His own university. That'd make him... Arch-Chancellor. Rincewind the Arch-Chancellor pictured himself visiting Unseen University. He could have a hat with a really big point. He'd be able to be rude to everyone. He'd... He tried to stop himself from thinking like that. It'd all go wrong. Of course, said Twoflower, it might be that the bad things have already happened to you. Have you considered that? Perhaps you're due something nice? Oh, don't give me any of that karma stuff said Rincewind. The Wheel of Fortune has lost a few spokes where I'm concerned. It's worth considering, though, said Twoflower. What, that the rest of my life will be peaceful and enjoyable? Sorry, no. You wait. When my back's turned, and bang. Twoflower looked around with some interest. I don't know why you think your life has been so bad, he said. We had a lot of fun when we were younger. Hey, do you remember the time when we went over the edge of the world? Often said Rincewind, usually around 3 a.m. And that time we went on a dragon and it disappeared in mid-air. You know, said Rincewind, sometimes a whole hour will go by when I don't remember that. And that time we were attacked by those people who wanted to kill us. Which of those 149 occasions are you referring to? Character building, that sort of thing, said Twoflower happily. Made me what I am today. Oh, uh, yes, said Rincewind. It was no effort, talking to Twoflower. The little man's trusting nature had no concept of sarcasm and a keen ability not to hear things that might upset him. Yes, I can definitely say it was that sort of thing made me what I am today too. They stepped inside the city. The streets were practically empty. Most people had flocked to the huge square in front of the palace. New emperors tended towards displays of generosity. Besides, the news had got around that this one was different and was giving away free pigs. I heard him talking about sending envoys to Ark Moorpork, said Twoflower, as they dripped up the street. I expect there's going to be a bit of fuss about that. Was that man disembowel myself honourably present at the time? said Rincewind. Yes, as a matter of fact. 
When you visited Aunt Morpork, did you ever meet a man called Dibbler? Oh, yes. If those two ever shake hands, I think there might be some sort of explosion. But you could go back, I'm sure, said Twoflower. I mean, your new university will need all sorts of things, and, well, I seem to recall that people in Ark Morpork were very keen on gold. Rincewind gritted his teeth. The image wouldn't go away. Of Arch-Chancellor Rincewind buying the Tower of Art and getting them to number all the stones and send it back to Hung Hung. Of Arch-Chancellor Rincewind hiring the faculty as college porters. Of Arch-Chancellor Rincewind... No! Pardon? Don't encourage me to think like that. The moment I think that it's going to be worthwhile, something dreadful will happen. There was a movement behind him and a knife suddenly pressed against his throat. The great blob of swallows vomit, said a voice by his ear. There, said Rincewind. You see? Run away. Don't stand there, you bloody idiot. Run. Two flowers stared for a moment and then turned and scampered away. Let him go, said the voice. He doesn't matter. Hands pulled him into the alley. He had a vague impression of armour and mud. His captors were skilled in the way of dragging a prisoner so that he had no chance to get a foothold anywhere. Then he was flung onto the cobbles. It does not look so great to me, said an imperious voice. Look up, great wizard. There was some nervous laughter from the soldiers. You fools! raged Lord Hong. He's just a man. Look at him. Does he look so powerful? He is just a man who has found some old trickery. And we will find out how great he is without his arms and legs. Oh, said Rincewind. Lord Hong leaned down. There was mud on his face and a wild glint in his eyes. We shall see what your barbarian emperor can do then, won't we? He indicated the sullen group of mud-encrusted soldiers. You know, they half believe you really are a great wizard. That's superstition, I'm afraid. Very useful most of the time. Damn inconvenient on occasion. But when we march you into the square and show them how great you really are, I think your barbarian will not have so very long left. What are these? He snatched the gloves off Rincewind's hands. Toys, he said. Made things. The Red Army are just machines like mills and pumps. There's no magic there. He tossed them aside and nodded at one of the guards. And now, said Lord Hong, let us go to the Imperial Square. How'd you like to be Governor of Bang Bang Duke and all the islands around there? said Cohen, as the horde poured over a map of the Empire. You like the seaside, Hamish? What? The doors of the throne room were flung open. Two flowers scuttled in, trailed by one big river. <sighs> Lord Hong's got Rincewind. He's going to kill him. Cohen looked up. He can wizard himself out of it, can't he? No, he hasn't got the Red Army anymore. He's going to kill him. You've got to do something. Oh, well, you know how it is with wizards, said Truckle. There's too many of them as it is. No. Cohen picked up his sword and sighed. Come on, he said. But Cohen... I said, come on, we ain't like Hong. Rincewind's a weasel, but he's our weasel. So you're coming, or what? Lord Hong and his group of soldiers had almost reached the bottom of the wide steps to the palace when the horde emerged. The crowd surrounded them, held back by the soldiers. Lord Hong held Rincewind tightly, a knife at his throat. Ah, Emperor, he said in Ankh-Morporkian. We meet again. Check, I think. What's he mean? Cohen whispered. He thinks he has you cornered, said Mr Savaloy. How's he know I won't just let the wizard die? Psychology of the individual, I'm afraid. It doesn't make any sense, Cohen shouted. If you kill him, you'll be dead yourself in seconds. I shall see to it personally. Indeed, no, said Lord Hong. When your great wizard is dead, when people see how easily he dies, how long will you be emperor? You won by trickery. What are your terms? said Mr Savaloy. There are none. You can give me nothing I cannot take myself. 
Lord Hong grabbed Rincewind's hat from one of the guards and rammed it onto Rincewind's head. This is yours, he hissed. Wizard. Ha! You can't even spell. Well, wizard, aren't you going to say something? Oh, no. Lord Hong smiled. Ah, that's better, he said. Oh, no. Very good. Oh! Lord Hong blinked. For a moment, the figure in front of him appeared to stretch to twice its height and then have its feet snap under its chin. And then it disappeared with a small thunderclap. There was a silence in the square, except for the sound of several thousand people being astonished. Lord Hong waved his hand vaguely in the air. Lord Hong? There was a short man behind him, covered in grime and mud. He wore a pair of spectacles, one lens of which was cracked. Lord Hong hardly glanced at him. He prodded the air again, unwilling to believe his own senses. Excuse me, Lord Hong, said the apparition, but do you by any chance remember Bess Pelagic? About six years ago, I think you were quarrelling with Lord Tang. There was something of a skirmish, a few streets destroyed, nothing very major. Lord Hong blinked. How dare you address me, he managed. It doesn't really matter, said Two Flower, but it's just that I'd have liked to have remembered. I got quite angry about it. Um... I, I, I want to fight you. You want to fight me? Do you know who you are talking to? Have you any idea? Um, yes. Oh, yes. Lord Hong's attention finally focused. It had not been a good day. You foolish, stupid little man. You don't even have a sword. Oi, four eyes. They both turned. Cohen threw his sword. Two Flower caught it clumsily and was almost knocked over by the weight. Why did you do that? said Mr. Savaloy. Man wants to be a hero, that's fine by me, said Cohen. He'll be slaughtered. Might do, might do, might do. He might do that, certainly, Cohen conceded. That's not up to me. Father! Lotus Blossom grabbed Two Flower's arms. He will kill you. Come away! No! Butterfly took her father's other arm. No good purpose will be served, she said. Come on, we can find a better time. He killed your mother, said Two Flower flatly. His soldiers did. That makes it worse. He didn't even know. Please, get back, both of you. Look, father, if you don't both do what you're told, I shall get angry. Lord Hong drew his long sword. The blade gleamed. Do you know anything about fighting, clerk? No, not really, said Two Flower. But the important thing is that somebody should stand up to you, whatever happens to them afterwards. The Horde were watching with considerable interest. Hardened as they were, they had a soft spot for pointless bravery. Yes, said Lord Hong, looking around at the silent crowd. Let everyone see what happens. He raised his sword. The air crackled. The barking dog dropped onto the flagstones in front of him. It was very hot. Its string was alight. There was a brief sizzle. Then the world went white. After some time, Two Flower picked himself up. He seemed to be the first one upright. Those people who hadn't flung themselves to the ground had fled. All that remained of Lord Hong was one shoe, which was smouldering, but there was a smoking trail all the way up the steps behind it. Staggering a little, Two Flower followed the trail. A wheelchair was on its side, one wheel spinning. He peered over it. You all right, Mr Hamish? What? Good. The rest of the horde were crouched in a circle at the top of the steps. Smoke billowed around them. In its continuing passage, the ball had set fire to part of the palace. Can you hear me teach? Cohen was saying. Course he can't hear you. How can he hear you looking like that? said Truckle. He could still be alive, said Cohen defiantly. He is dead, Cohen. Really, really dead. Alive people have more body. But you're all alive, said Two Flower. I saw it bark straight at you. We got out the way, said Boy Willie. We are good at getting out the way. Poor old Teach. Didn't have our experience of not dying said Caleb. 
Cohen stood up. Where's Hong? he said grimly. I'm gonna... He's dead too, Mr Cohen, said Two Flower. Cohen nodded as if this was all perfectly normal. We owe it to old Teach, he said. He was a good sort, Chuckle conceded. Funny ideas about swearing, mind you. He had brains, he cared about stuff, and he might not have lived like a barbarian, but he's bloody well going to be buried like one, all right? In a long ship set on fire, suggested Boy Willie. My word, said Mr Savaloy. In a big pit on top of the bodies of his enemies, suggested Caleb. Good heavens, all of four be, said Mr Savaloy. In a burial mound, suggested Vincent. Really, I, I wouldn't put you to the trouble, said Mr Savaloy. In a longship set on fire, on top of a heap of the bodies of his enemies, under a burial mound, said Cohen flatly. Nothing's too good for old Teach. But I assure you I feel fine, said Mr Savaloy. Really, I... Uh... Ronald Savaloy! Mr Savaloy turned. Ah, he said. Uh, yes, I see. If you would care to step this way... The palace and the horde froze and faded gently like a dream. It's funny, said Mr. Savaloy as he followed death. I didn't expect it to be this way. Few people ever expect it to be any way. Gritty black sand crunched under what Mr. Savaloy supposed he should still call his feet. Where is this? The desert. It was brilliantly lit, and yet the sky was midnight black. He stared at the horizon. How big is it? For some, very big. For Lord Hong, for instance, it contains a lot of impatient ghosts. I thought Lord Hong didn't believe in ghosts. He may do so now. A lot of ghosts believe in Lord Hong. Oh, er, uh, what happens now? Come on, come on, haven't got all day, step lively, man. Mr Savaloy turned round and looked up at the woman on the horse. It was a big horse, but then it was a big woman. She had plaits, a hat with horns on it, and a breastplate that must have been a week's work for an experienced panel beater. She gave him a look that was not unkind, but had impatience in every line. I'm sorry, he said. Says here, Ronald Savaloy, she said. The what? The what? Everyone I pick up, said the woman, leaning down, is called someone the something. What the are you? Um, I'm sorry, I... I'll put you down as Ronald the Apologetic, then. Come on, up up. There's a war on. Got to be going. Where to? Says here, uh, quaffing, carousing, throwing axes at young women's hair. Ah, um, I, th I think perhaps there's been a bit of, um... Look, old chap, are you coming or what? Mr Savaloy looked around at the black desert. He was totally alone. Death had gone about his essential business. He let her pull him up behind her. Have they got a library, perhaps? He asked hopefully, as the horse rose into the dark sky. Don't know. No one's ever asked. Evening classes, perhaps? I could start evening classes. What in? Um, well, anything, really. Table manners, perhaps? Is, is, is that allowed? I suppose so. I don't think anyone's ever asked that either. The Valkyrie turned in the saddle. You sure you're coming to the right afterlife? Mr Savaloy considered the possibilities. Uh, on the whole, he said, I think it's worth a try. The crowd in the square were getting to their feet. They looked at all that remained of Lord Hong and at the Horde. Butterfly and Lotus Blossom joined their father. Butterfly ran her hand over the cannon, looking for the trick. You see, said Two Flower, a little indistinctly, because he couldn't quite hear the sound of his own voice yet. I told you he was the great wizard. Butterfly tapped him on the shoulder. What about those? she said. A small procession was picking its way through the square. In front, Two Flower recognised, was something he'd once owned. It was a very cheap one, he said to no one in particular. I always thought there was something a little warped about it, to tell you the truth. 
It was followed by a slightly larger luggage. And then, in descending order of size, four little chests, the smallest being about the size of a lady's handbag. As it passed a prone Hung Hungese who'd been too stunned to flee, it paused to kick him in the ear before hurrying after the others. Two Flower looked at his daughters. Can they do that? he said. Make new ones? I thought it needed carpenters. I suppose it learned many things in Ankh-Morpork, said Butterfly. The luggages clustered together in front of the steps. Then the luggage turned around and, after one or two sad backward glances, or what might have been glances if it had eyes, cantered away. By the time it reached the far side of the square, it was a blur. Hey, you, four eyes. Two flower turned. Cohen was advancing towards the steps. I remember you, he said. Do you know anything about Grand Viziering? Not a thing, Mr. Emperor Cohen. Good. The job's yours. Get cracking. First thing, I want a cup of tea. Thick enough to float a horseshoe. Three sugars in five minutes, right? A cup of tea in five minutes, said Two Flower. But that's not long enough even for a short ceremony. Cohen put a companionable arm around the little man's shoulders. There's a new ceremony, he said. It goes, tea up, love, milk, sugar, donut, want another one? And then you could tell the eunuchs, he added, that the emperor is a literal-minded man and used the phrase, heads will roll. Two flowers' eyes gleamed behind his cracked glasses. Somehow he liked the sound of that. It looked as though he was living in interesting times. The luggages sat quietly and waited. Fate sat back. The gods relaxed. A draw he announced. Oh, yes, you have appeared to win in Hung Hung, but you have had to lose your most valuable piece. Is that not so? I'm sorry, said the lady. I don't quite follow you. Insofar as I understand this, uh, physics, said fate, I cannot believe that anything could be materialized in the university without dying almost instantly. It is one thing to hit a snowdrift, but quite another to hit a wall. I never sacrifice a pawn, said the lady. How can you hope to win without sacrificing the occasional pawn? Oh, I never play to win, she smiled. But I do play not to lose. Watch. The Council of Wizards gathered in front of the wall at the far end of the Great Hall and stared up at the thing which now covered half of it. "'Interesting effect,' said Ridcully, eventually. "'How fast do you think it was going?' "'About five hundred miles an hour,' said Ponder. "'I think perhaps we were a little enthusiastic. "'Hex says—' "'From a standing start to five hundred miles an hour,' "'said the lecturer in recent runes. "'That must have come as a shock.' "'Yes,' said Ridcully. Uh, but I suppose it's a mercy for the for the poor creature that it was such a brief one. And, of course, we must all be thankful that it wasn't rinse-wind. A couple of the wizards coughed. The dean stood back. But what is it? he said. Was, said Ponder Stibbons. We could have a look in the, in the bestiaries, said Ridcully. Shouldn't be hard to find. Grey, long hind feet like a clown's boots, rabbit ears, tail long and pointy, and of course not many creatures are twenty feet across and one inch thick and deep fried. So that narrows it down a bit. I don't want to cast a shadow on things, said the dean, but if this isn't Rincewind, then where is he? I'm sure Mr. Stibbons can give us an explanation as to why his calculations went wrong, said Ridcully. Ponder's mouth dropped open. Then he said, as sourly as he dared, I probably forgot to take into account that there's three right angles in a triangle, didn't I? Uh, I'll have to try and work everything back, but I think that somehow a lateral component was introduced into what should have been a bidirectional sortilegic transfer. It's probably that this was most pronounced 
at the effective median point, causing an extra node to appear in the transfers at a point equidistant to the other two, as prediction in Flume's third equation, and Turf's law would see to it that the distortion would stabilise in such a way as to create three separate points, each moving at roughly equal mass one jump around the triangle. <laughs> I'm not sure why the third mass arrived here at such speed, but I think the increased velocity might have been caused by the sudden creation of the node. <laughs> of course, it might have been going quite fast anyway. But I shouldn't think it is cooked in its natural state. Do you know, said Ridcully, I think I actually understood some of that. Certainly, uh, some, of, some of the shorter words. Oh, it's, it's perfectly simple, said the burglar brightly. We sent the dog thing to Hung Hung, Rincewind was sent to some other place, and this creature was sent here, just like past the parcel. You see? said Ridcully to Stibbons. You're using language the bursar can understand, and, and, and he's been chasing the dried frog all morning. The librarian staggered into the hall under the weight of a large atlas. Ooh. At least you can show us where you think our man is, said Ridcully. Ponder took a ruler and a pair of compasses out of his hat. Well, if we assume Rincewind was in the middle of the counterweight continent, he said, then all we need to do is draw... Ooh. I, I assure you I was only going to use pencil. <coughs> all we have to do is imagine, all right? A third point, equidistant from the other two, uh, that looks like somewhere in the rim ocean to me, or probably over the edge. Can't see that thing in the sea, said Ridcully, glancing up at the recently laminated corpse. In that case, it must have been in the other direction. The wizards crowded round. There was something there. It's not even properly drawn in, said the dean. That's because no one's sure it really exists, said the senior wrangler. It floated in the middle of the sea a tiny continent by Discworld standards. X, 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 Ponder read. They only put that on the map because no one knows what it's really called, said Ridcully. And we've sent him there, said Ponder, a place that we're not even certain exists. Oh, we, we know it exists now, said Ridcully. Must do, must do. Must be a pretty rich land, too, if the rats grow that big. I'll go and see if we can bring he Ponder began. Oh, no, said Ridcully firmly. No, thank you very much. Next time it might be an elephant whizzing over our heads, and those things make us splash. No. Oh. Give the poor chap a rest. We'll have to think of something else. He rubbed his hands together. Time for dinner, I feel, he said. Um, said the senior wrangler, do you think we were wise to light that string when we sent the thing back? Certainly, said Ridcully, as they strolled away. No one could say we didn't uh, return it in exactly the same state as it arrived. Hex dreamed gently in its room. The wizards were right. Hex couldn't think. There weren't words yet for what it could do. Even Hex didn't know what it could do. But it was going to find out. The quill pen scritched and blotted its way over a fresh sheet of paper and drew for no good reason a calendar for the year surmounted by a rather angular picture of a beagle standing on its hind legs. The ground was red, just like it hung hung, but whereas that was a kind of clay so rich that leaving a chair on the lawn meant that you had four small trees by nightfall, this ground was sand that looked as if it had got red by being baked in a million-year summer. There were occasional clumps of yellowed grass and low stands of grey-green trees. But what there was everywhere was heat. This was especially noticeable in the pond under the ghost gums. It was steaming. A figure emerged from the clouds, absent-mindedly picking the burnt bits off his beard. Rincewind waited until his own personal world had stopped spinning and concentrated on the four men who were watching him. They were black, with lines and walls painted on their faces, and had between them about two square feet of clothing. There were three reasons why Rincewind was no racist. He'd ended up in too many places too suddenly to develop that kind of mind. Besides, if he'd thought about it much, 
Most of the really dreadful things that had happened to him had been done by quite pale people with big wardrobes. Those were two of the reasons. The third was that these men, who were just rising from a half-crouching position, were all holding spears, pointing at Rincewind, and there is something about the sight of four spears aimed at your throat that causes no end of respect, and the word, sir, to arise spontaneously in the mind. One of the men shrugged and lowered his spear. G'day, bloke, he said. This meant only three spears, which was an improvement. Er, uh, this isn't Unseen University, is it? Uh, sir, said Rincewind. The other spears stopped pointing at him. The men grinned. They had very white teeth. Clatch? Um, Hawanderland? It looks like Hawanderland, said Rincewind, hopefully. Dunno them blokes, bloke, said one of the men. The other three clustered around him. What'll we call him? He's kangaroo bloke. No worries there. One minute a kangaroo, next minute a bloke. The old blokes say that sort of thing used to happen all the time back in the dream. I reckon he'd look better than that. Yeah, one way to tell. The man who was apparently the leader of the group advanced on Rincewind with the kind of grin reserved for imbeciles and people holding guns and held out a stick. It was flat and had a bend in the middle. Someone had spent a long time making rather nice designs on it in little coloured dots. Somehow Rincewind wasn't at all surprised to see a butterfly among them. The hunters watched him expectantly. Er, uh, yes, he said. Very good. Very good workmanship, yes. Interesting, pointillistic effect. Shame you couldn't find a straighter bit of wood. One of the men laid down his spear and squatted down and picked up a long wooden tube covered with the same designs. He blew into it. The effect was not unpleasant. It sounded like bees would sound if they'd invented a full orchestration. Um, said Rincewind, yes. It was a test, obviously. They'd given him this bent piece of wood. He had to do something with it. It was clearly very important. He'd... Oh, no, he'd say something or do something, wouldn't he? And then they'd say, yes, you are the great bloke or something. And then they'd drag him off and it'd be the start of another adventure, i.e. a period of horror and unpleasantness. Life was full of tricks like that. Well, this time Rincewind wasn't going to fall for it. I want to go home, he said. I want to go back home to the library where it was nice and quiet. And I don't know where I am, and I don't care what you do to me, right? I'm not going to have any kind of adventure or start saving the world again, and you can't trick me into it with mysterious bits of wood. He gripped the stick and flung it away from him with all the force he could still muster. They stared at him as he folded his arms. I'm not playing, he said. I'm stopping right here. They were still staring, and now they were grinning too, at something behind him. He felt himself getting quite annoyed. Do you understand? Are you listening, he said. That's the last time the universe is going to trick Rincewind. That is the end of Interesting Times by Terry Pratchett, and it was read by Nigel Planer.